Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. As we transition into today's sermon, uh, we're getting ready to start a new series. I mentioned this to you last week. Um, We're going to be exploring for the next couple weeks the life and death of Jesus. Um, And I know I'm going to do this for Aaron's sake and her sanity. (laughs) I remembered. Um, So we're going to focus on the next couple weeks, just on specific moments in Christ's life um, that impacted his ministry, uh, that, and that should impact our understanding of who Jesus is. Some of them will be, you know, especially spiritual moments, and some of them will be more of the humanity side. And Jesus being both full man and full God, we can do that. Um, the reason that we are starting this week in the particular place we're going to be, if you want to turn to it, it's going to be Luke 4, and it's just going to be the beginning of that chapter. So Luke 4, we're going to go from verses 1 through 13. As you're turning there, um, I do want to take a moment and recognize why we're starting in the wilderness this, uh, section of the Bible this year is because this past Wednesday was Lent. I don't know if you know that. For those of you who are former Catholics or you have parents who are Catholic, or I know that's a big part of the Catholic belief, but it actually expands all of Christianity. Um, lots of Protestants use them, lots of Episcopalian churches, Anglican. I know typically in the Southern Baptist, this is not a always thing. Uh, we especially don't do like the whole ashes on the forehead, but you know, it's good to know. And I like studying church history. It's one of my, weirdly, it's one of the things I felt fascinated by in seminary. Um, and I just, I loved watching and reading about faithful, brilliant men and women throughout history try to wrap their head around who God is and how to serve him, how to, how to be faithful to him. And I, I just am encouraged by their effort. And I'm also encouraged that none of them figured it out completely. <laughs> it makes me feel a little better um, that I don't always figure it out. But um, one of the things that, you know, I, I think is important about Lent and why people celebrate this and, and why I want to encourage you to think about Lent, um, one is that this is a season for repentance and renewal. That, that's what this is about. This is, this is really, it's a time that we're going to set, that people set aside as part of a larger remembrance process for the upcoming Easter celebration. And, and that's what it's about. It's about a season of we need, to be, we need to be repentful during this season and we need to be renewed during this season. Um, obviously, it begins on Ash Wednesday. And, um, you know, there's, what's interesting is, and I, and I researched this, so within the, um, within the Anglican church, and I, I don't know, for my Catholic folks in here, um, you can, I don't know if this, the prayer is the same. It's been a long time, man. It, it's been almost 20 years. Um, there was a, actually it's been longer, it's almost 30 years, good gracious. Um, the imposition of the ashes, right, when they put the ashes on your forehead, there's something that they say, and I thought it was just, man, we need to remember this sometimes, and it's remember that you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, that's, a, that's a kind of an odd thing. It's like we're going to church and someone's telling me I'm going to die. But it's important because this is a reminder of the reality that all of us face. No one escapes this. No one escapes this reality. We all have to deal with the fact that one day this body is going to decay. And, and, and there will be a time where we leave this physical realm and we're going to go join God in a different realm as believers. And as... I've always learned this should impart two things for us. One, an urgency on our end because there are people around us who will die. And what waits for them is only hell. It's only an eternity without God. And on the other end, the present end, it should be hope because we have an eternity where this is the only hell we'll know. And that should be rejoicing for us. It should allow us to remember and go, this is just the moment. This is the smallest of moments for us. This life is... is as fleeting as it is, there's an eternity waiting for us that is wonderful and joyous. And so, one of the things I want to share with you as we begin going today, and I'll let it roll into our prayer, but there's an Anglican, Anglican Ash Wednesday prayer. And I was like, man, I love old prayers. So, what I'm going to do is we're going to pray and, and open up our passage today with this prayer. It's in its short. So, if you'll join me. <clears throat> it says, Almighty and everlasting God, 
You hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting of our sin and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So as we begin our celebration, I want you guys, as we said, turn to Luke 4. I'm going to read our passage today. And we're going to be on verses 1 through 13. And it says, and God's word says, Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell us, tell us this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So this passage is repeated three different times within the Gospels. Um, Mark and Matthew have different views. Mark is probably the closest to Luke. Matthew's a little shortened. Um, John doesn't really talk much about it. It's like a blurb. It's just like he went to the wilderness, he was tempted, he left the wilderness. <laughs> um, but Luke's is really interesting. I, I chose his particularly because there's some interesting details, and I like Luke's writing. I've always, I like Luke's gospel a lot. It's one of those that just, some, sometimes the gospel, certain gospel resonates with you, and, and I can appreciate Luke's details that I love. And so there are a couple of things I want to encourage you, and, and one of these is this. We all will face wilderness, and I need you to get this. This is the, probably the most important thing. If you don't get anything else from here today, please take that home. Everybody is going to face a wilderness. You cannot run from it. I know people who have run from it, and guess what? They end up back in the wilderness. You can't run but for so long. But all of us face the wilderness. If our Lord and Master, if Jesus, the Son of God, has to wander in the wilderness, so do we. And what's interesting is that it, I want us to kind of, as we go through this passage, to pay a couple of attention to some really important things I think will relate to you. They'll be, they'll be useful for you as you think about your own walk. Um, the first of these <clears throat> is I want to just look at verse 1 where it says, Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by, this wilderness, the, uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus, just prior to this, was baptized. And if you can remember the baptism account, I'm going to remind it for you. Jesus is dipped under the water by John, and he's pulled out of the water. And when he does, the skies part. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. That's what they say, descends. It's, you can see it, which I've never seen the Holy Spirit, but I imagine that was amazing to see. And then God's audible voice speaks down and says, this is my son whom I am well pleased Probably for any man, that is the most wonderful couple of sentences we could ever hear, right? But I can't imagine what it's like for the creator of the universe, our heavenly father, to say that about us. And so in the most full of moments, Jesus is freshly full of the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to a wilderness. And it's not that he ends up in the wilderness. It's not like he was tricked into the wilderness. It says the Spirit led him into the wilderness, there is a wonderful author 
um, who I've read and I've, I've encouraged other people to read. His name's Pete Scarrow. And he, is a, uh, he writes a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If you've never read it, it's a really good read. He's got a couple different versions of it. He's got some devotionals with it. But one of the things that he talks about is the reality of this, how we end up into our wilderness, our spiritual wilderness. And one of the key components is usually there is a, a experience, a really wonderful mountaintop kind of experience. And then we have to leave the mountaintop and we enter into a, a time of, either, you know, of wilderness, a valley, if you will. And I love that analogy because I want you to think about this. If, if you've ever gone to the mountain, who loves the mountains, right? Like I love the mountains. I hope many of us who live by the beach, weirdly enough, like the mountains. And those who live in the mountains like the beach. It's weird. But I love the mountains. But if you've ever noticed on really high mountains, there's a lack of vegetation up there, isn't there? Like if you've ever seen pictures of Everest, there's not a tree or a bush or a shrub to be had. In fact, animals at some point quit living, right? They call it the tree line. You can literally see it in certain mountains. There's a certain... Right. But we can't stay there long, can we? Because here's the thing about mountaintops. Yes, mountaintops are wonderful. And the, be- the view up there is beautiful. And the experience is absolutely amazing. But we're not meant to live there. We can't exist there. We can, you know, more importantly, we can't flourish and grow there. Where do things grow? In the valley. That's where things grow. But here's the issue that a lot of us run into. Is in our young faith, when we've been filled with the Spirit, and God's doing some amazing things in our life, and we hit that first wilderness, a lot of us feel like we're walking alone. And we don't know what to do in the midst of that wilderness. We don't realize that this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. This is part of what it means to pursue God regularly, is that we're going to experience some wilderness. And so <clears throat> I want to encourage you, for those who are in a wilderness right now, you weren't just led there on your own accord. The Holy Spirit has been guiding you there, which helps us because here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit guided you there, that means he's still there with you. He's still there with you. So, as Jesus is there, it it notes in there that it says that he was there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. And that kind of goes back to that idea about being fed, spirit-led and spirit-fed. For 40 days, he didn't eat. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, if I don't eat, Probably 40 minutes, but at least 40 hours. If I'm, if I'm wanting to sound good, it's 40 hours for sure. But if I went 40 days, there's definitely going to be several days I'm hungry. But <laughs> I love it, Max. You're good. But, and there's a reality to this, right? He, whatever the Spirit is going to lead you through, he will provide for you. Now, we've heard that. I've heard it over and over again. But let's be honest. In the reality of that, how difficult is that? And here's the thing, I want you to note, it did not say that the Spirit gave Jesus food. It said it took away his hunger. He wasn't hungry then. That means he didn't have a need. It didn't mean he didn't have a want. It meant he didn't have a need. There's a big difference between that. As Jesus moves on, it says, the devil said to you, if, you are, um, <clears throat> if you're uh, the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Note when this happens. When Jesus is at his weakest, right, all of a sudden he is hungry. Right? He's, been in the, he's been out there for 40 days. My time has come. Now the devil slips in. What I love is, all right, so many of us grew up with the devil and, and, and that word, Satan, um, as kind of this imagery of like a, a man in a red cape with little horns, right? Or if you grew up in my era, it's Al Pacino. So I don't know if you know that reference, but <laughs> there's a reality. We have this, like, we, wanna, we like putting vision, we like putting a, an image to something. Even when we think about God, most of us go to like a, you know, a, a Da Vinci or a Michelangelo painting. Like we just have these weird images that we put in our head to try to wrap our head around something that enormous. But I want you to understand the word devil here. It just means adversary. It, but, and it also means another thing. It means an accuser. And those, that's key for us to understand that, that Satan is going to accuse us and he's also against us, right? Satan here recognizes that Jesus is weak 
and he can be tempted. And he knows that all he has to do is just, if he can get him to slip once, man, it's all over. I win. And so in Jesus' weakest moment, he goes, hey, man, like, make some bread. Right? Like, if, you're, if you are, look what he says. He says, if you are the son of God, if that's who you are, why don't you tell this stone to make some bread? What's interesting, remember a few weeks ago we talked about disciples? And we talked about, you know, following Jesus for the right reason. And that crowd that got in boats and followed Jesus to Capernaum. And they get there and Jesus is like, you didn't even follow me for the right reason. You followed me because I made your bellies full. You didn't follow me because you want to know me. You wanted me to make more bread. Jesus was being prepared in this moment for that moment. And so is our wilderness. Our wilderness is preparing us. In the moments of our weakness, in the moments of our greatest temptations, we're being prepared. Jesus, at this moment, hasn't started ministry. This wilderness is a key, vital part. This wilderness is going to build on what Jesus has got to do next. One of the things I learned from Pete's book was that when you look at the cycle of when Christians generally begin finding their first wilderness, when they really begin hitting that first wall in their life, it's often in between a place where they have a passion for Jesus and a desire to lead. And the bridge there is a wilderness. We can have a passion for something and not be equipped for it yet. We can have a desire to serve God in a place that we're not really ready to do that. And we need God to begin taking things out of our lives, deprioritizing some things, but we also need God to begin giving us tools to do that. Here we see Jesus do that. Over and over again, Jesus is going to be told and reminded, well, if you're the son of God, do this. Work another miracle. Heal another person. Feed me some more. He's going to be pulled and challenged for the next three years of his life. And this wilderness here is to prepare him. Jesus' response to, to the adversary is, it's written, man must not, must not live on bread alone. That's his response. All three of Jesus' responses come from Deuteronomy. If, you, if you've not read Deuteronomy, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the law, the Old Testament law. Um, and it's thick and very, and very dry, and there's some very weird rules. And the more you study it and you kind of get into the culture, you start realizing, like, man, these things are brilliant but complicated because they're so specific. They're like hyper-specific. And you would only know the specific, you know, the, these specific reasons, these specific laws, if you were living only in that culture. But Jesus goes to God's word and wields it. I know many of us may know, but in Ephesians, it talks about using God's word as a sword. And I want you to understand this. Satan, our adversary, is going to use God's word, and we have to use God's word. But both of us are going to use it. Satan is going to use it improperly. We're going to see that here in a second. But Satan will use his word, and he'll challenge you with it. He'll challenge you with it. But Jesus' response is God's word. Next, it says that he took him up to, he took him up, doesn't say where, and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give you this, their splendor and all the authority because it has been given over to me. I can give it to whoever I want if you will then worship me and all will be yours. Sometimes it's, we have this idea of, as we view Satan that he lives in like the underworld, right? A very Greek, Romanesque understanding of, of Satan, his domain. But I want you to be reminded that even Jesus said that Satan is the king of the air. Not the air waves. <laughs> the air. The air that we breathe. Satan's realm right now is here. This is where he, he, he has power and dominion here. But understand that Jesus' kingdom has already started and is continuing to come and will eventually fully come. And, take, and he's taking land back. But Satan telling Jesus this, what he's doing is, one, he's giving him the same illusion that many of us know people, maybe we've even fallen for this trap. That, hey, if I just forsake God, if I just pursue my own desires, 
then I can gain everything I want in the world. I can get all the things I want. I can have prosperity. I can have riches. I can have power. I can have prominence. And what's interesting is this goes and ties back into what Jesus' ministry is going to be. Right? I told you, this wilderness is preparing Jesus. What happens over and over again in Jesus' ministry when people see that he is powerful, believe that he is the Messiah? What do they want from him, though? I, I tell you this, they don't want a sacrificing Messiah. They don't want a, a, a Messiah who's come to, to serve people, to live lowly. What they want is a warrior king. They want a David. They want another mighty warrior to come and, and sweep through the land and free Israel again and make Israel a mighty nation again. That's what they want. This is not the last time Jesus is going to be tempted with this offer. In fact, there are multiple times where he has to just leave. It says he just vanishes. That he has to do something supernatural to get out of a position where people are trying to overtake him and force him to be this king, this all-powerful person. And Jesus' response is simply, he says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. Within that little sentence is a key thing. Because sometimes we think of serving God as a pagan thing, right? Like, well, I'm not going to worship Baal. I'm not going to worship him. I'm not going to worship some Greek god or, um, you know, I'm not going to go and get into the eclectic or, the, or witchcraft. I'm not going to do any of those things. But know this. Worshiping God and God only also means that we can't worship other things. And we have a really, we are idol makers. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but we have a bad habit of making idols out of almost anything. We, we have a habit of making idols out of the audience and the applause. We have a habit of making idols out of uh, our, you know, the, people's others' opinions of us. How many likes that we have on our social media. We can worship anything. In fact, we're built to worship. But within that desire to worship, we oftentimes misplace it. And Jesus is telling Satan here, I'm only going to worship God. I'm only going to, he's going to be who's at my throne. I don't need the other things in the world, but I need to serve him. And so Jesus, or, so Satan in a last ditch effort takes him to Jerusalem and he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now for a long time I didn't know what this meant. It's actually the tallest part of the temple and I know maybe, there's actually a group from Living Water right now and they're taking all kinds of cool pictures, but the temple the size of the temple back then would have been astounding. And it was one of the most beautiful places on earth. It was adorned in gold and jewels. It was magnificent. The best of the best made it. The finest art, artistry went to building this thing. And this temple had a high point. And Satan says that if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then he does what I told you you'd do before, right? He quotes the Bible. A sneaky sucker quotes the Bible. He says, for it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Two parts of this is one, remember Jesus' goal was what? He came to proclaim that God's kingdom was coming, right? Especially to the Jews. That's who he was coming to. He was coming to call Israel back to their first love and then call the rest of the world. And so we talked about this before, like if you were going to make a movement, if you were going to have, if you were going to strike out into the world and you were going to try to make a spiritual movement happen, who would you pick? Well, you know, you would think you'd pick the most dedicated, brightest, most educated spiritual leaders that you could find. And they would all be in Jerusalem's temple. And imagine the miracle that they would see where Jesus would throw himself from the highest point and land unscathed. Of course, they would have to accept him that he would be the Messiah then, right? That's what they would have to. That's what this temptation is about, is that they would have to accept him. But Satan has vastly miscalculated people's ability to believe. Because mind you, there were people who watched Jesus raise people from the dead, who watched lame people walk again, who watched paralytics get off their mat who watched blind people regain their sight and not a single one of them 
necessarily came to him. Miracles validate Jesus' ministry, but it doesn't make people believe. What's interesting, too, is that even though Satan uses the proper <clears throat> uses the proper verse, he says it wrong. He leaves out parts, right? And we talk about that like mishandling Scripture. In fact, Spurgeon, I was reading him this week about this passage, and he goes, one of the things that we should be weary then is, is, as pastors is that we're not just like, the, just like the devil and misuse and misquote God's word. We have to be careful. See, there's actually, it's the smallest of things. I'll read it to you. It's, it's actually Psalm 91, and it's verse 12, but if you read all of Psalm 91, you get a better idea. But just in verse 12, he cuts it short. So instead of saying that they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone, it's supposed to say right after that, in all your ways. In all your ways. And, and it's denoted here that the way that that's written, the way that the, Greeks the Greek and the Hebrew are written in that, is all of your normal travels. So what normal travel would ever consist of being on top of a pinnacle? What normal travel would ever consist of putting yourself in, in immediate harm where God would have to intervene or you would die? There's an understanding here. Satan's purposely misusing this. You know what it says before all this? Oh, this is my favorite part. Mind you, Satan had just asked Jesus to worship him. But it says, the Lord is my refuge and I will always serve him. <laughs> this is the verses that precede this. And it says, and if the Lord is my refuge and I do serve him well, then he will do this. It's a reminder that Satan will always use and twist the Bible just as, just as quickly as we can grab to it. And the only thing we have to defend with ourselves is, is God's word. But God's word read rightly. <clears throat> Jesus answered, he says, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. What I love, though, is that if you read some of the other passages, the other gospels, one of the things that he says here is get behind me, Satan, <laughs> which he would later use with Peter. Over and over again, Jesus is going to be tempted to take the shortcut out. Over and over again, there will be temptation for him to avoid this. And we can go to the garden and see even the temptation there was weighing on him. He was pleading with God, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, God, take this cup from me, but, but let your will be done. I know many of us are struggling with the wilderness. Many of us might be in it right now. And some of us, man, we're beaten down and we, and we feel like we're alone. And I want to encourage you this way. You are not alone. God led you there. He will lead you through it. He is with you in the middle of it. And you need to be encouraged in this because you might be feeling down. I also encourage you this. God's people are a valuable resource. God has placed us here. That is what the church is for. is to gather, not just to celebrate together, but to bear each other's burdens. I speak on this a lot. With a lot of different people, that is our, that's what we're called to do. We are called to bear one another's burdens. Don't keep walking on your own. God has put people in your life who want to walk with you. Let them in. The other part of this is this, and this is the, the football coach in me. But sometimes you need a swift kick in the butt. God's called you to a wilderness for a reason. And we can sit here and we can mope and we can cry and we can be like the Israelites and complain every time God gives us something that we don't have something else. I gave you manna. Well, we want meat. I gave you meat. It's too much meat, which is not a thing. But God is making you into something. He loves you too much to let you sit where you are. And as a parent who's raised children, I know that it's hard to love somebody that well, but God loves you too much just to leave you alone. God loves you and he wants you to grow and be something amazing that honors and glorifies him. And that means you've got to go through some things to get there. You've got things in your life that need to be cleaved off and it's painful. It hurts to lose parts of you. But you've been carrying stuff you don't need. There are things in your life that you don't have yet. You can't lead people till you have it. There are experiences in your life that you have to go through so that you can properly help other people, that you can minister to people that you have no idea of what's coming. So some of us need a kick, a kick in the butt sometimes. 
More important, we gotta keep our focus on what matters most. It is not about us. It is not about us. It's about God and his will being done. And we serve a great, mighty God who loves us, who wants to give us more than just, con- just a, a safe, comfortable space. He wants us to be used. He wants us to be used. In closing today, I was, uh, <clears throat> was looking in my garage, and I noticed I had a... a <laughs> we've moved a couple times, and you start wondering, like, why do I have this? And what I've noticed is that things that I don't use a lot get rust on them and become unusable, and I have to get rid of them. And it's a sad, sad end to a tool's life to be thrown to the trash can because it's no longer usable because it was never used. I love Max. He's, gonna, he's always got the good point. You're right, Max. But here's the good thing. For some of us, there, there should be a fear of man has God used me. God wants to use you. He doesn't want you to rust. The good news is, as Max said, it can always be refurbished. So if we've been sitting on the shelf too long, if we've accumulated too much rust, God's going to break out a grinder and sandpaper, and he's going to get all that off of us so that we can be useful once again. So I'm, that's my plea with you this week. Is as we walk, just trust that in the middle of your wilderness, God's there. And if you're not in a wilderness, you probably got one coming. But don't be afraid of it. Step into it with a calm, understanding hope that God is going to be with you. The Holy Spirit is leading you and will guide you and provide for you through that time. I'm going to have the worship team come join us. Um, we're going to close in prayer. Why don't you guys join me? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you that in the midst of my hardest times, you were there. In the midst of my weaknesses, you were using me. Father, that, that I'm not just a son of God who's just idly sitting by waiting for halos and wings to appear. But God, you have a purpose for me today. And God, you have a purpose for each and every person here. And I just pray that you would begin showing them that, God. Give them the hope of understanding their purpose and their intent of being used. God, I pray that you would guide each and every one of us as we are struggling, God. You know exactly what we need. So I pray for those who need motivation, God, that you would motivate them. For those who need, God, who need comforting, that you would comfort them. That your Holy Spirit would be abound, that it would pour out upon them. God, I pray that we would be able to come around and surround those who are walking through hard times, Father, and bear their burdens with them. Give us strength to do that. Give us, give us the desire to do that. Give us the compassion to do that, God. And Father, as we close today, we just thank you for your son who has been tempted by every temptation. God, that we serve a God who knows what it's like to deal with all the hardships of this life. This isn't some unknowing God, but this is a God who knows what we wrestle with, who has compassion for the things we struggle with. And we thank you that he would be able to do this, Father, that you would send such a God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed weekend.